I'm going to read Numbers chapter 22. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And it was Amorites. Sorry, I had the wrong name in my notes. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were, they were many, and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too many, too mighty for me. And perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the, with the diviner's fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. And God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, they, for they are blessed. So Balaam rose in the morning and laid and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I, will con for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. Now therefore... Please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God said to Balaam at night, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And God, then God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. 
Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish, you were, I wish there were now a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I surely would also have killed you by now and let her alive. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displease you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went to the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am, not a, am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now have I, now have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kajath Huzoth, and Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. So if you go on in Wait a minute, I think I have a wrong reference here. Yeah, if you go on into, into chapter 23, you have three places of blessing that they go. And he actually went to, went to Balak thought there was going to be a curse. And they went to this first place and offered sacrifices and Balaam blessed them. And so they went to another place. And from the other place, they offered sacrifices and Balaam blessed the children of Israel. And they went to the third place and same thing happened. And in chapter 24, verse 10, and Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now, therefore, flee to your place. I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. So Balak was not happy, the king of, uh, as well you might expect. And uh, then in verse 25 of that chapter, it says, so Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place and Balak went his way. And so 
quite an interesting story. We have a prophet, kind of a, a random, a random person here, who apparently was considered to be a prophet by the people. He had a reputation. Um, you can see that in chapter two. Verse 6, he had a reputation among the people of the land. Sorry, chapter 22, verse 6. He had a reputation among the people of the land as a prophet. The ones who he blessed were blessed. The ones who he cursed were cursed. And so these Moabites were looking for something to help them, some way to help them that was beyond physical power. And they were looking for a way that they could overcome these people. So we have this, this prophet, this strange prophet that we don't know much about. And uh, then we have this talking donkey. And a lot of people say, you know, well, donkeys don't talk, so the Bible can't be true. And, uh, you know, we don't observe donkeys talking on a regular basis. That doesn't mean the Bible's not true. That just means that today donkeys don't talk. But we do have this story with this talking donkey and the appearance of angels, and we have God speaking to Balaam multiple times throughout this story, which is very interesting to me because, you know, we don't particularly hear of this kind of people in our day today. I found the meaning of Balaam interesting. It's not of the people or foreigner. So that was the meaning of the name Balaam. Moab, the people of Moab were descendants of Lot. The people of Midian were descendants of Abraham from his wife Keturah. So other little interesting tidbits. In verse 7, I want to look at, I want to start there, and I want to look at the interchange between Balak and Balaam. So in verse 7, they're looking, the Moabites and the Midianites are looking for this help, and they sent princes to Balaam with a diviner's fee. And so apparently there was a, a fee that, I don't know if this was something that he normally charged or that there was a normal diviner's fee that they would give to someone who had these uh, these powers are, were diviners. And they said, come. So there was, a, there was an initial call, and Balaam said that the Lord refused permit, to give him permission to go. And so that was in verse 13. Then verse 15 and 17, um, Balak ups the respect and the price. So he says, more, he sends more princes and they're more honorable. And let me see, maybe I better look at the text here. I will honor you greatly and I will do whatever you say to me. So he wasn't going to just get the fee, he was going to get whatever he asked for. And verse 18, it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, response from Balaam, he says, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go before, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. 
And so basically he's saying, you know, you can't buy me with money. All I can, all I can do is what God tells me to do. Verse 37 and 38, when he actually arrives there, Balak greets him with some social pressure. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am, not I, am, am I not able to honor you? So he's basically saying, you know, I really wanted you to come. Why didn't you come? What's going on here? And even though Balaam denies his ability to speak anything beyond what God says, you can see that Balak has this assumption that what he wanted is going to happen now that Balaam is here. And so now that I've got him to come, he's going to do what I want him to do. And then you have the conclusion there in verse in chapter 24, verses 10, where Balak is angry because that expectation isn't met. And Balaam goes home without his honor. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull some more from that a little bit, but I also want to look at the interchange during this t- same time frame between God and Balaam. In verses 9 through 12, God makes an initial statement. And I think it's significant. He says, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. They are blessed. This people is in a place of blessing. So they're not going to be cursed because they are blessed. That's the condition in which they are, are living. That's the way that they are before me. And so I'm not going to, to tell you that you can curse them because that's not where they are. They're blessed. In verse 20, when they come back the second time, he says, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So he gives Balaam permission to go, but... He says, you can only say what I tell you to say. And then in verses 32 through 35, when the angel meets him, through the angel, God reiterates that same warning to speak only the words that he says. So I have a couple questions for you. Did God want Balaam to go? That's right. That's pretty clear. So why then did God allow Balaam to go? (laughs) He kept begging. That's good. I want to look at that question some more at the end as well. What two things did Balak use to try to convince Balaam to come? Money, riches, honor, riches and honor. And there's two kinds of both of those. There's spiritual, kingdom of God, riches and honor. 
there's earthly riches and honor. The honor of God, the honor of men. The riches of God, the riches of men. Proverbs 22.4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So God gave Balaam permission to go, but in verse 22, God's anger was aroused because he went. And so God was not happy that Balaam decided to go. And so you have the story of the angel and the donkey. So what is God trying to do? The New Testament tells us what he's trying to do. 2 Peter 2.16, God was restraining the madness of the prophet. So there was, there was, God was trying to restrain what was happening and to stop Balaam from what he was doing. Trying to show him that he's taking a wrong way. In verse 32, it says... I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. That's taking a wrong way. It's taking a rash way. That the original word there that's translated perverse means to drive recklessly or be rash. So he's, he's not being careful. What should we be getting from this? What ought we to get from this? It didn't take Brian long to answer me. Did God want him to go? The answer was no. What do we do when we hear God's voice? What do I do when I hear God's voice? What do you do when you hear God's voice? Do you look for a way around it? Do you go back and keep asking God, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is what you want? So from the, from the, when the angel met him there in the road, Balaam goes on to Moab. He meets Balak. And they offer the sacrifices. Balaam blesses the Israelites. And both men return to their homes. And by appearances of the story, other than the angel in the way, by appearances of the story, Balaam does exactly what he's supposed to do. Right? Because he went ahead and went, but he only said what he was supposed to say. But you see, that's not where the story ends. Turn to chapter 25. Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 31. So in chapter 25, the Moabites and the Midianites lead Israel into sin, into idolatry and immorality. And in verse 31, in verse 8, and they killed the kings of Midian, this is the Israelites, and they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those that were killed 
Evi and Rechem and Zur and Hur and Reba, the five kings of Midian, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And so Balaam got killed by the children of Israel in this battle against the Moabites and the Midianites. And then verse 31, chapter 31, verse 16, it said, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. And so somewhere along the way, Balaam gave them counsel to lead the Israelites into immorality and idolatry as a means by which to overcome them, even though by appearances he had done what he was supposed to do. There were things happening that were not what was supposed, what was supposed to be done. Balaam's mentioned three times in the New Testament. And that helps us to understand the, the story. That same verse in Peter where it talks about him, um, God restraining the madness of the prophet, it says that he loved the wages of unrighteousness. In Jude 1.11, it says that greed caused him to choose error. In Revelation 2.14, it says that he cast a stumbling block before the people of God. And this was a severe offense in God's sight. So where did Balaam go wrong? He tried to serve two masters. He tried to do what God said and also get from Balak what Balak was promising. And ultimately, it comes down to his love. He loved riches and honor of men more than the praise of God. And you would say, well, you know, I'd never do that, wouldn't you? But how do you handle the decisions that you face? You see, this was a decision that he was facing. Well, what do you love? Because what you love is what drives your desire. What do you want then? That's your desire, what you want. Now, Joe had us read, had me read these verses in Sunday school class this morning. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So is that what Balaam did? Did he have a desire for something and that desire took him to a step where he committed a sin and sin took him to a point where he died? I think it's pretty clear to see that progression in Balaam's life. You see, wrong desire will eventually lead us to compromise. No matter how much show of good we put on the outside, wrong desire will eventually lead us to compromise, which will be sin, and that will lead to death. But you see, nobody knows your desires except for you. 
God does, that's right. So are you checking with Him about your desires? My point is that the people around you can't particularly see your desires. But you know what your heart really desires. When you're facing that decision, you know what you really want. What do you really want? Are you checking your desires with God? Joe also had us read these sentences. Verses in Sunday school class. 1 Corinthians 10, 11-13. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So I'm going to stop there for a bit. Okay, so these verses are a tremendous comfort in a lot of ways because it recognizes that we're all tempted and we're all tempted in similar ways and that God is observing and controlling those temptations and he's making and he will with the temptation make a way for us to escape so do we have any excuse to keep sinning not if God's going to make a way for us to escape so if we believe those verses we don't have we don't have an excuse to give in to sin but I find the next verse really interesting I'm going to finish up the last part of verse 13 and then read verse 14. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, because of this, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So what's idolatry? Could it be said that idolatry is anything that takes the place of God? Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay? So you could say that that verse is saying this list of things and, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So is it saying that covetousness is, covetousness is idolatry? Or is it saying that all of those things are idolatry. I think it's saying that all of those things are idolatry. Covetousness is included in that. But notice the link to desire in each one of those things. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Those are all things that you can put in the place of God in your life. So God has a plan for your life and He has a purpose for you and He has created desire in you for good things but when you take those desires and put them in the place where God is supposed to be when you put them at the front of your life then they become idolatry stubbornness in our Sunday school lesson is as idolatry what does that mean that means I want my way at whatever cost it takes see that's idolatry because now when you want my way instead of God's way, you're putting your will in front of God's will. It's idolatry. 
So we've got two gods here. We've got the God of idolatry down here. We've got the true God up here. And we have a line of moral right and wrong in between. So you were in sin before you came to Christ and you came out of death into life. Because on the back side, on, on this side it's, it's death. And on this side is life. You're right here. And that verse that I just read from Colossians, I mean from 1 Corinthians says, flee idolatry. So if you're going to flee idolatry, which way are you going to go? You're going to go towards the true God, aren't you? Are you going to walk along the moral line of right and wrong? If you're fleeing idolatry? No. You're not going to. You see, we're always moving. We're always moving. Our desires are always moving. Our decisions are always coming. What are we doing with those decisions? What is our desire? Is our desire really to get to God? If it is, we're going to be going towards Him with that desire. We're going to be fleeing idolatry. Because that's the opposite of who he is. So what did Balaam try to do? Balaam was hearing the voice of God. That's what I find really intriguing about that story. God was talking to Balaam and giving him regular messages. He had a connection with God. Balaam said... I'm going to walk along this line so that I can get from the king of Balak what I want. But instead of walking along this line and staying there, he went like that. And that's what's going to happen to us if we are not careful that we have the right desires. That our desires are after God fully and completely. You're the one who's in control of those desires. You're the one who has choices to make about those desires. What are we going to do about our desires? What do we want? And that's a question that can only be answered deep down in the center of your soul. What do I really want? And you've got to be honest about it because if you're not honest about it, you're just deceiving yourself. That's one of the most critical things that I see about truly finding God is being honest with yourself about your heart. Because we can do a lot of good things and I think a lot of people have done a lot of good things in an effort to, to make themselves feel like they're seeking God. But they're really not being honest about themselves. They're taking the path, same path that Balaam took with their desires. So I have another, have another Old Testament character that I want to use soon and uh, kind of, this was kind of a negative, the negative side of desire and look a little bit more at the positive side of desire. But hopefully we can learn a little bit from the life of Balaam because those things are our examples and we can use those examples to be faithful people today. So may the Lord bless us and give us strength to be faithful.